It's Thursday, September 7th. I'm Priyanka Arabindi. And I'm Juanita Tolliver, and this is What A Day, the podcast that is not your source for news about Joe Jonas's and Sophie Turner's divorce. Yeah, we are not your source for news, but we could be your source for gossip because, listen, <laughs> we know a lot of it. I'm trying to mind my business. I'm reformed. <laughs> Juanita is reformed. I am not quite yet. <laughs> On today's show, President Biden ends drilling in millions of acres of Alaska's wilderness, plus a judge ruled that Donald Trump is liable for defaming E. Jean Carroll once again. But first, it's only been five weeks since Justice Janet Protasewicz was sworn in to the Wisconsin Supreme Court, and state Republicans are hell-bent on getting her kicked off the court before she even hears her first case, y'all. Unfortunately, par for the course for these people, they will not allow us to have... Just one nice thing. Yeah. No, that, that would be too much for them. So tell us what's happening here. Definitely a moment when our mothers are like, this is why we can't have nice things. Precisely. Thankfully, Republicans' previous complaints against Justice Protosewitz and statements she made during the campaign were dismissed by the State Judicial Commission back in May. But now, Republicans are threatening to escalate things by soft-launching the idea of impeaching Protosewitz for statements she made about legislative maps. So what are Republicans claiming that she said? During the campaign, she referred to the maps as, quote, unfair and rigged, though she never stated how she would rule on a case about the maps. Honestly, the Republican complaints here are completely ridiculous, and they're definitely grasping at straws while attempting to literally overturn the will of Wisconsin voters who turned out and voted for Justice Protosewitz. Right. So is it safe to assume that this impeachment push is about this shift towards the liberal majority of the Wisconsin Supreme Court? Is this actually like rooted... In, in anything real or is it just about that? 100% it's just about that. Like this is entirely about the liberal shift in the state court and the reality that in the near future, the panel of justices could hear and rule on cases related to legislative maps and abortion access to massive issues in Wisconsin that state Republicans are used to having control over. And let's be real. The threat to impeach Protasewicz started even before the election happened. They were afraid of her then, and they're afraid of her now, especially since the control they enjoyed for the past 15 years is gone. Right. Here's what Ben Wickler, chair of the Wisconsin Democrats and friend of WAD, said about the impeachment push yesterday to local TV station WISN. An attempt to impeach Janet Protasewicz would be an absolute political, moral, and constitutional disaster the gravest mistake that they could make that would backfire on Republicans and engulf them in election to election to come. I love Ben Wickler. I respect that man so much. But I have to say that is every single thing these people do every single day is just a disgrace. It's right. tough to say. But I mean, yes, this is patently disgraceful. Yeah. And on top of Wisconsin Republicans arguing that Protosewitz has already prejudged these cases, they claim that because she received millions in campaign donations from the Wisconsin Democratic Party, that she must recuse herself from these cases. OK, y'all, there are three critical notes here, though. First of all, the justice hasn't prejudged anything. I mean, the Judicial Commission already dismissed those complaints. Second, the court hasn't even decided whether or not they will hear the cases about the legislative maps that are pending. And third, the state Democrats are not a part of either of those cases anyway. So campaign donations have nothing to do with any of this. And if I was being really an asshole, I would have went and found the campaign contributions to the conservative justices on the bench. But I don't have time for all of that digging. I'm sure it's there. Oh, yes. I'm I'm sure it's hiding in plain sight, not too hard to find. But I love when you lay out things for us. Just one, <laughs> two, three. Real simple here. Thank you for that. 
what is at stake here if they end up going through with it and she is impeached? So just to level set here, the only grounds for impeaching an office holder in Wisconsin are corrupt conduct in office or committing a crime or misdemeanor, neither of which are part of why Republicans think she's impeachable. Okay, now that that part is clear, if the justice is impeached, she will be barred from any duties as a justice, including voting on cases, until the Senate acted. That was what the court three to three conservative liberal judges. Now, if they impeached her and the state Senate convicted her before December 1st, Democratic Governor Tony Evers would name a replacement who would then have another election next April when the Republican presidential primary will be on the ballot, meaning that conservative voters would be highly energized and engaged. And when you pause and think about each of these steps, it makes it abundantly clear that this impeachment push is all about undermining the will of the voters, plain and simple. Right. As they are doing in so many places around the country and attempting to do. So how are allies and activists working to back up Justice Protosiewicz right now? What's going on? Yeah, the state Democratic Party is taking this threat of impeachment very seriously. And yesterday, they launched a $4 million campaign to effectively deter the state Republicans from going down the route of impeachment. The campaign will include, quote, digital and TV ads, in-person voter outreach, and a website tracking where every Republican lawmaker stands on impeachment. It's giving name and shame, and I am definitely into it. It's called Defend Justice. And we'll put it in our show notes so you can take a look at it. I love a live tracker like that. Let's put everything right out there. Make it real easy. I appreciate it. But now we're going to switch gears to some positive environmental developments for perhaps the first time in the history of the show. Very exciting news. Yesterday, the Biden administration announced that it will ban drilling in 13 million acres of wilderness in Alaska's National Petroleum Reserve and that it will cancel the drilling leases that were issued under President Trump in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. In a statement, President Biden said that the protections would, quote, help preserve our Arctic lands and wildlife while honoring the culture, history and enduring wisdom of Alaska natives who have lived on these lands since time immemorial. Oh, I love to see every bit of this. Tell us more about the details of this announcement and about this area. Yeah, so let's start with the drilling ban component. The ban explicitly prohibits new oil and gas leasing in 10.6 million acres of the petroleum reserve and adds strict requirements and safeguards to another 2.4 million acres. So that is 13 million in total. According to the Biden administration, these are the maximum protections and would apply to nearly half of the National Petroleum Reserve in Alaska. And for that second component, Interior Secretary Deb Holland will cancel all seven of the leases that the Trump administration issued within the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. For context, the area is the largest remaining stretch of wilderness in the United States. It is roughly the size of South Carolina, so Mm. not insignificant areas of land that we are talking about. And it's home to all sorts of wildlife that depend on that land and water to survive. When the Trump administration issued these leases back in 2021, it undid six decades of protections for the area. And reversing that decision was a campaign pledge by President Biden that he is now seeing through. Oh, I love a Uno reverse. So how (laughs) has this been received so far? (laughs) Yes. So it's a positive development, but these policies do nothing to stop the $8 billion Willow oil drilling project in Alaska that Biden came under fire for approving earlier this year, which very, very important caveat. When that happened, climate activists and other voters thought Biden went back on his promises and they were angry about it. 
Deirdre Shelley of the Sunrise Movement told the New York Times that while the new Arctic protections were exciting, they don't make up for the Willow decision. Of course, there are other detractors as well. The oil industry insists that these are some of the richest oil reserves in the country. Republicans use that to fearmonger a bit. And the decision will likely be challenged in court by the fossil fuel industry. We'll be sure to keep track of what comes of this, though. Our fingers are crossed that President Biden will be able to see this one through. More on all of this very soon, but that is the latest for now. We'll be back after some ads. Did you know that women make up 56% of law students? That's grounds for bragging rights at the dinner table for your conservative uncle who still thinks women belong in the kitchen. It's clear that the future of the legal field is female. So why are so many legal podcasts and reviews authored by men? Hi, I'm Leah Littman. I'm Kate Shaw. And with Melissa Murray, we are the hosts of Strict Scrutiny. Each week, we break down the latest headlines and biggest legal questions facing our country through the lens of diverse voices to give you expert views you won't hear anywhere else. Strict Scrutiny is your guide to the Supreme Court. New episodes drop every Monday, plus bonuses whenever the Supreme Court takes away another one of our rights. Make sure to subscribe to Strict Scrutiny wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Erin Ryan, a writer and host of the podcast Hysteria. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco, former White House Deputy Chief of Staff and also a host of Hysteria. And this week, we were asked to talk about Women's History Month. And on behalf of women everywhere, okay, fine. Our show Hysteria is about the way news and culture impacts women in America every week of the year. From the latest on reproductive rights to the ways pop culture handles women's stories. And not just because it's March, okay? We exist the other 11 months of the year, too. What? Don't... <laughs> uh, you heard it here first. Don't even get us started on our exclusive YouTube series, This Fucking Guy, where we try to figure out how the worst people in America got to be so awful. So if you're looking for a pod that's by the ladies and for everyone, make sure to subscribe to Hysteria wherever you get your podcasts. Let's wrap up with some headlines. Headlines. We'll start with some good news out of Texas, which is rare, so let's savor this, y'all. Yesterday, a federal judge ordered the Lone Star State to remove its floating barrier in the Rio Grande and banned it from building a new one, at least for now. This comes nearly three months after Republican Governor Greg Abbott first deployed the 1,000-foot-long string of buoys and razor wire under Operation Lone Star, a long-standing initiative aimed at keeping immigrants from crossing the southern border. The move was met with heavy backlash from immigration advocates along with the Mexican government. And you'll remember that a dead body was found caught in the barrier last month, while another was found just a few miles upstream. Mexican officials identified one of those bodies as a child from Honduras. And this is completely tragic that this is something that Greg Abbott really wants to keep doing and dig into. The Biden administration sued the state of Texas, arguing that Abbott did not have its permission to install the barrier. And yesterday, a federal judge agreed, issuing a preliminary injunction to get the barrier removed. Abbott's office has already appealed Wednesday's ruling, saying that the governor is, quote, prepared to take this fight all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. You know, just like he's prepared to keep harming and doing the most to abuse people who are just trying to seek a safe haven. It really is alarming. It really seems like he is actively searching for ways to inflict harm on these people. And in doing so, probably actively neglecting concerns in his state. Oh my God, 100%. I don't think he really cares about that all that much. 
Some more good news from the courts. A federal judge ruled yesterday that former President Donald Trump is liable for defaming writer E. Jean Carroll back in 2019 after she first publicly claimed that Trump raped her at a New York department store in 1996. As part of that ruling, U.S. District Judge Lewis Kaplan said that an upcoming trial will only be focused on how much Trump will have to pay up in damages to Carroll. Wednesday's decision comes after a jury just four months ago found that Trump sexually abused Carol in the 90s and later defamed Carol in 2022. He was ordered to pay her $5 million in damages. In Judge Kaplan's opinion issued yesterday, he wrote that the, quote, substantive content of Trump's 2019 and 2022 statements were identical. And so the jury's findings earlier this year effectively established that Trump's 2019 statements were also false and defamatory. A trial to determine how much more Trump owes Carol is set to begin January 15th. Just add it to the list of things this man is facing. Pay up. Yes. Now for some bad court news. A federal judge in Georgia ruled Tuesday that a state ban on transgender care for minors can resume. The decision comes after the same judge, Judge Sarah Garrity, just last month temporarily blocked part of the Georgia ban from going into effect saying that the ban was, quote, substantially likely to violate the Equal Protection Clause. So what happened? Well, just a day after Judge Garrity's initial ruling, the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals, which includes Georgia, ruled that a similar ban in Alabama could take effect. Attorneys for the state then asked the judge to reconsider her block and to completely vacate her injunction. She declined to do the latter, but she did put it on hold because of a possible rehearing of the Alabama case. We'll be sure to follow any developments there, but in better news for LGBTQ youth, a California judge yesterday issued a temporary restraining order against a Chino Valley Unified School District policy requiring schools to alert parents if students change their gender identification or pronouns. The decision comes after California Attorney General Rob Bonta sued the district last month over its new policy and asked for a temporary injunction to immediately stop the policy, as well as a permanent order blocking it altogether. That policy would also require district staff to notify parents if students use a bathroom that doesn't match the gender listed on their official paperwork. The AG's lawsuit will continue in court while the policy remains halted. The next hearing is set for October 13th. Spanish soccer player and Women's World Cup champ Jenny Hermoso has formally accused Spanish soccer chief Luis Rubiales of sexual assault for kissing her on the lips without her consent after Spain's victory. Last Thursday, prosecutors opened an investigation into whether Rubiales could be charged with committing sexual assault. As part of that investigation, they invited Hermoso to formalize a complaint within 15 days so that they could officially open a case. And that day is here. In Spain, sexual assault is a crime that can result in one to four years in prison, which Rubiales could face if found guilty. He has vehemently insisted that the kiss was consensual and has refused to resign even after international pressure to do so. Rubiales has, however, been suspended from all soccer-related activity for 90 days by FIFA. In our opinion, that doesn't go nearly far enough. Mm-mm. Prosecutors said that that first phase of the sexual assault case against Rubiales will come in the next few days. Some storm news from around the world. Let's start with the Caribbean. Hurricane Lee strengthened into a Category 1 hurricane on Wednesday, putting it on track to become a major hurricane by the end of the week as it heads toward the Atlantic region. No coastal warnings are currently in effect, but forecasters say that the storm could cause swells in the Lesser Antilles on Friday before hitting the British and U.S. Virgin Islands and Puerto Rico on Saturday. 
Meanwhile, in Europe, Storm Daniel killed at least 14 people across three countries as of our record time at 9.30 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday night. Three in Greece, seven in Turkey, and four in Bulgaria. Greece in particular saw record rainfall with two feet of rain falling over the course of two days. All three countries endured severe flooding, prompting mass evacuations. And finally, down in Brazil, a cyclone killed at least 22 people and displaced 3,000 others in the country's southern region late Tuesday night. According to forecasters, more rainfall is on the way and some areas could see nearly a foot of rain by the end of the week. All right, this next headline is nasty, so buckle up, or maybe don't. Air Canada kicked two passengers off of a flight from Las Vegas to Montreal on August 26th for refusing to sit in wet, vomit-stained seats. Susan Benson, one of those two passengers, recounted her experience on social media. She said that she stepped onto the plane and smelled vomit. Then when she reached her seat, residue of the throw-up was visible and the seatbelt was still wet. So she called the flight attendant. Here is Susan explaining to Global News what the attendant had to say. She said, yes, we're aware that there's been an incident. Uh, that's why we put the coffee grounds and sprayed some perfume. You way too casual with your coffee grounds and your perfume, flight attendant. <laughs> Literal jaw drop from us. In case you're wondering, the coffee grounds were stuffed in the pockets of the seat to try and hide the smell. Also, I think, you know, contributing to making the experience even worse. Like, you want to reach into your seat back pocket and just, there to be coffee grounds? Anyways. Airline staff said that the passengers could not switch seats because the flight was full. One of the pilots then gave the passengers an ultimatum to either get off the plane or be put on a no-fly list if they kept complaining. All right, now. And so the passengers left the plane. Air Canada said that they have apologized to the pair and that they, quote, clearly did not receive the standard of care to which they were entitled to. I'm sick. I'm so sick. I'm so sick. Truly sick. Between this and uh, the plane that had to, I think, was flying overseas and had to turn around because someone had diarrhea everywhere. Not a good week for air travel. So they expected her to reach and touch a vomit-soaked seatbelt to strap herself in. Thus, the vomit is on her clothing yeah. and saturating her pants the entire... Okay, but seriously, Priyanka, what are you choosing? Diarrhea up the aisle or puke on your chair? You gotta pick one. <laughs> it is easily puke on the chair because I would do exactly what these people did. Normally mm. try to be pretty nice on a flight because, you know, it's a high-stress <laughs> situation. Don't need to be contributing to that. No. This is a situation to throw a fit over it, be reimbursed, obviously the value of your flight, then milk this for what it's worth, get diamond status on Air Canada. Like, you need to be milking this. Diarrhea on the flight, you're stuck there. You're stuck Aww. in the flight and had to turn around and had to fly for God knows how long with diarrhea everywhere. Absolutely no. Well, in both situations, I feel like I would have cried. Like, I'm not even a public crier, but I would have fucking shed some tears. Like, out of disgust. <laughs> it's stuff like this. Like, I don't want to be sympathizing with the billionaires. Then I'm like, oh shit. You know what? <laughs> Flying private. That sounds lit. <laughs> Anyways, this headline has turned me into a billionaire sympathizer. That's so sad for me, but that is just what Air Canada has to live with. Thank you so much for that. And those are the headlines. <laughs> One more thing before we go. Abortion is on the ballot yet again in 2023. In Virginia, we've got to maintain a majority in at least one chamber of the legislature against totally moderate suburban dad Glenn Youngkin's anti-abortion agenda, while Ohioans are voting to codify reproductive freedom in the state constitution. 
Visit votesaveamerica.com to see how you can get involved and learn more now. That is all for today. If you like the show, make sure you subscribe, leave a review, hope you never fly in puke, and tell your friends to listen. I'm still frowning over the puke, but if you're into (laughs) reading and not just counting up the lawsuits Trump has lost like me, what it is also a nightly newsletter. Check it out and subscribe at cricket.com slash subscribe. I'm Juanita Tolliver. I'm Priyanka Arabindi. And And chill chill out, cheeseheads. Oh, Wisconsin. I was like, wait, who? (laughs) Seriously, leave her alone. Well, Janet has some reinforcements coming in. Shout out to this program. Defend justice. We need more of that. More of that energy. More. What a Day is a production of Crooked Media. It's recorded and mixed by Bill Lance. Our show's producer is Itzi Quintanilla. Raven Yamamoto and Natalie Bettendorf are our associate producers. And our senior producer is Lita Martinez. Our theme music is by Colin Gilliard and Kashaka. Kashaka.